It's your Wednesday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys back for another day. Hope you guys enjoyed yesterday's double dose of Daily Delivery. So much going on right now, like I always say, but that's particularly true. Uh, today, um, Timberwolves and Wild both playing Game 2 of the playoffs tonight. And uh, as part of that, Sarah McClellan, Wild beat writer from the Star Tribune, will join me here in just a few minutes to get ready for that game. The Wild, of course, winning game one in Dallas, 3-2 to two in double overtime on Monday. Huge win for them in that game, setting themselves up for success in this series and a chance to really... Uh, just really put put some pressure on Dallas uh, tonight, and if they can win that game, my goodness, uh, setting themselves up for some great things. But even if they don't, coming back here on Friday, they would feel like they were in pretty good shape. So I will talk to Sarah about that series. Um, got a Vikings thought towards the end of the show here. I've got a Timberwolves thought to get us ready for that game tonight. Of course, they lost one hundred nine to eighty. On, uh, on Sunday in Game 1, that was not a great effort in any stretch of the imagination, but some interesting stuff from Anthony Edwards talking about that game, what needs to change. So we'll get into that here in a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? Let's talk Twins for just a few minutes here at the jump because I, saw, I sensed a lot of frustrated fans on Twitter uh, Tuesday night talking about the 5-4 extra innings loss to Boston. It, was, it felt like it was one of the really only like super frustrating losses of the year so far. And 17 games in, that's a pretty good place to be, uh, especially considering how things went last season for this team down the stretch. 10-7 and overall, but they lose this one after giving up a lead late in the game, went to extra innings. Twins got two in the top of the 10th, but the Red Sox get three. They get the benefit of all sorts of weirdness. Uh, they they helped uh, tie the score in the eighth inning on a catcher's interference that they declined because the ball put in play was a better result. They had a strike three that got away from Christian Vasquez in the tenth inning and uh, kind of jump started that inning. And then a weird a weird uh, fly ball that probably would have been foul in any other ballpark ends up being the winning hit. For Boston, so you know, kind of, a, it's one of those games where a lot of things didn't go their way, and you don't want to draw too many conclusions from one game. Let's draw some conclusions though from 17 games, and that is this: the Twins cannot hit. I know they got four last night, but they got like four hits in that game, uh, four runs and four hits in that game. They can't hit, and some of it's injuries, some of it's the way the roster's put together. They definitely miss. Um, Alex Kirilov, they've definitely missed Jorge Polanco. Um, they've they've missed Joey Gallo to a certain degree because he had a little bit of a hot streak going at one point this year. But overall, this team lacks uh, a certain lineup continuity and a certain lineup depth. And that's got to be more worrisome than any single game outcome. The pitching has been tremendous this season, particularly the starting pitching. Um, Sonny Gray with another effective outing on Tuesday. Uh, Pablo Lopez has been great. Joe Ryan has been great. So the top three in the rotation have been superb, and they've gotten some other um, effectiveness um, at the bottom part of the rotation. Here's what I'm worried about, though. Offense right now, uh, team slugging percentage is 25th in the majors, team batting average 26th in the majors, team OPS on base plus slugging 27th in the majors. And 
I feel at this point, if we're talking about regression or progression, um, can the can the offense rise up? Will the pitching fall back? My concern is that the pitching is not as good as the hitting is bad. If that makes if that makes sense, that if there's going to be um, if there's if th- if things are going to sort of uh, sort themselves back to the mean in this case, if if the Twins pitching won't quite be this good, but the offense won't quite be this bad, I feel like the pitching has further the further to fall. Um, realistically and practically, then the offense has to go up. That's just what I'm seeing right now. Um, I think Pablo Lopez is for real. I think Sonny Gray has a track record. I like Joe Ryan, so I'm not saying those guys are going to suddenly fall off a cliff, but I don't think they're going to keep pitching quite as well as they do. And I think the offense will get a little bit better, but I don't think this is still this is still not a top half of the league offense. It might not even be a top two-thirds of the league offense. This is how they're built. And this is this is going to be kind of the the norm this season. You have to get used to these low scoring games and kind of you know nail biting along the way, trying to trying to get it trying to get it to the finish line with pitching. And you know, I also realize you know in in fairness, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if they lose if they I'm sorry if they win on Tuesday rather than losing. But this is what we do when things kind of go sideways. We take a moment to evaluate where things are at. It's not like the pitching was bad yesterday, although Giovanni Moran had a rough tenth uh, inning that kind of let that game get away from them. And so you, know, you just look at it as a whole. You look at it and say, eh, you know, the team is ten and seven right now. I think they're off to a better start than a lot of people expected. If you are going to be concerned about anything, it's that the pitching will fall further than the hitting will rise, and that's what I'm going to be watching with this team over the next few months. Speaking of falling further, the Wolves couldn't fall much further than they did. On uh, on Sunday in that in that loss to uh, loss to Denver in the the opener of that uh, first round playoff series, it was not good in any stretch of the imagination. And most of it was predicated around an offense that was just not in gear at all. And I thought it was interesting. Um, Anthony Edwards was asked about you know being more aggressive, and Chris Finch telling telling reporters that he wants Anthony Edwards to be more aggressive, especially in transition. And saying basically, I hadn't heard him say that. I'm glad you told me that. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing that a lot more in game two. Um, this kind of strikes me as a team like I wrote about on uh, on Tuesday, a team that is lacking an identity on offense still. In you know more than 80 85 games into the season, they still don't know what they want to do. Chris Hine and I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday that they're stuck kind of between this mode of pick and roll. And uh, and kind of this free flowing offense, and the real shame of it is this: I think for Rudy Gobert's sake, they almost have to play a pick and roll style if they're going to involve him at all in the offense. For Anthony Edwards, it seems like anytime Towns and Gobert are on the court together, he does not have the space to get to the basket. He does not have the space to to create and be the player he wants to be. So. This is more than a game two question. This is an organizational philosophy question. Can you maximize Anthony Edwards when you're trying to play this two center lineup? And these guys are both centers. Um, that to me is a bigger question than game two. It's gonna it's gonna be come to the head in game two. We're gonna see them try to do it again in game two. But 
but can they maximize Anthony Edwards? That's an off-season question. That's a question for themselves going forward. And if they, if I think this series is giving you some interesting reps, some interesting looks, and if it's ugly and still ugly through the rest of this series, and it's a four or five game quick out, then that to me means that you have to think long and hard about what you're doing this offseason more than just you know, more than just tweaks and adjustments. So that's what I'm watching for in game two. Can Ant get going in this two big lineup? Can he find the space he needs? How are they going to counter this? How are they going to maximize what he does best? Because he is their spiritual leader. He is their momentum carrier. If he's not going, if he's not engaged, the whole offense breaks down and starts standing around. Can't get good shots late in the clock when Ant can't get to the basket. So Watch for that tonight. Watch for how Anthony Edwards is able or not able to be aggressive and think about that in the larger context of where the Wolves are headed this year. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring in Sarah McClellan. She is in Dallas. Um, Sarah, I guess one of the nice things about the playoffs, at least in the first couple games, is it gives you a chance to be in the same place for a few days. You're not hopping from road city to road city and you get at least, you get a chance to catch your breath and maybe the wild do a little bit as well after how late everybody was up, um, Monday to finishing that game at exactly 1 AM, as you wrote in your game story after that win, but, uh, a, a win and I'm sure they'll take it. They'll play as long as they have to, if it means they are winning playoff hockey games. And Sarah, before we started recording, we were just kind of talking about some of the themes from that game. And it, it felt very much like the Wilds style, which was not the Wilds style a year ago. How do you think they've been able to cultivate this style and then carry it over into this 3-2 uh, opening win in the playoffs? Yeah, you know, the magnitude of that game, obviously the stakes were very different than regular season hockey. But the way that the Wild played that game they could have been in March or February. And, and and that's a testament to the style of play that they've honed this season. The fact that they've been playing this way for a while. They felt that they needed to adjust their game and their style of play to be able to withstand the rigors of the postseason after learning uh, what it takes to win from their loss last year to St. Louis in the first round. Uh, so it didn't look like there were any surprises. They looked very unfazed by the pressure the, the momentum swings, uh, the tension that that hockey game had, um, they looked like the wild. And they said that, you know, they were going to be able to play a playoff type style, and they did. Um, so I think all that lead up, the prep work, being in so many tight games in the regular season, playing low scoring, tight checking hockey, uh, being opportunistic on offense but being very stingy defensively, especially on the penalty kill, um, all of those factors came to play for them. And it really did look like the prep work that they had prepared them for this situation, even though, like I said, the stakes were different. You know, it's just a very much uh, more intensified environment, but they just looked unbothered by that. And they looked like the wild. And if they can continue to do that, 
Um, it looks like what they've accomplished so far and experienced, it should serve them well in this series. If this is the standard, if this is just a preview of what's to come. Yeah, that's a good point. It, and I don't wouldn't imagine it would be any different. They're not going to try to change their style. It's just going to be a matter of with the margins being so thin, how, does it translate into more wins? Because that game, I mean, obviously, if it goes to double overtime, Stars had some really good chances in the third period and overtime that could have gone certainly either way. But in winning that game, I thought one thing was interesting, just in listening to Dean Evison afterwards, listening to some of the players, not just the style of the moment didn't seem to phase them, but they don't seem like they are. I mean, not that they would be, but they, because of how the last couple of years have gone, it feels like they understand that there's a long way to go here, that there was not a ton of celebrating after that game. Maybe they're just all this tired. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like they were, they were relishing the win too much that they know there's a lot in front of them uh, as opposed to just one win behind them. Yeah, this is a process for sure. Um, only one game, but again, a game, I think that really tested, uh, tested them and pretty much forced them to use every tool in their toolbox. And so if there ever was an introduction or a primer, um, you know, maybe this was the best test for them to realize that, um, they can find a way to persevere. It did look kind of bend, don't break in the overtime sessions. Um, they obviously really did rely on Philip Gustafson late. Uh, he made a number of timely clutch stops uh, to really ward off the pressure that Dallas was applying. And I think that's something obviously that they could look at to correct is just keeping more of that evenness in their game late um, and not having the momentum feel so lopsided. But again, that is very typical wild that they are opportunistic. And when there was a botched clearing attempt by the stars, it ended up on the stick of the wild and Ryan Hartman deposited the puck in the back of the net and they capitalized. So yeah, there's areas to improve, but this was a very on brand performance um, for the team. And so I think probably having that validation, especially from a game one, uh, at the beginning of a best of seven series um, is probably really helpful for this team because again, although they've said, you know, they're going to play playoff hockey and they've been right. playing games for months. It's one thing to say it and another thing to do it. And now they have evidence, proof, experience that they do play that way. It can work, especially on the road, you know, to, to take home ice advantage away from the stars right now after winning that game one. Thing is about this style, it doesn't really work all that well if you don't have good goaltending. They've had good goaltending all year, and they certainly help their goalies with their defense, their structure, their style, things like that. If there was any question going into game one, I think there's maybe still a, a question of who it was going to be. I can't imagine there's still a question going into game two with way, the way Gustafson played, but I'll I'll uh, I'll defer to Dean Evison on that. But uh, Gustafson did everything he could to keep the net in that game. He was really sharp late in that game. And again, that is very quintessential Gustafson, what we've seen from him this season. Obviously, both of Dallas's goals came on their power play, um, right off face-offs, quick plays. So that's something, again, to look at and improve. They'll have to be stronger on the draws, obviously, to try to negate that opportunity. And for the Stars to kind of just kind of get those quick plays off. Um, the special teams battle, obviously, like it is in every playoff series, will be huge. But when it mattered most, when they got back into that game, it was 2-2. He really turned a corner and was very strong. Pucks were hitting him and pucks were sticking to him. And that, I think, is when he is at the top of his game. He doesn't have to make a lot of reaction saves. 
He really just relies on his technique, it looks like, to be in the right place at the right time. And can you say, can you ask for anything more in the playoffs than being in the right place at the right time? Clearly, there were some close calls, um, you know, and some really strong plays by the defensemen in front of him. I can think of, you know, the stick play by by Jonas Brodine against Jamie Benn, swiping the puck off of his stick while Brodine is on the ice. Yeah. Um, the Brock Faber play late too for him to get a stick uh, on a shot and get it out of the way when it looked like the Stars were facing, you know, a bona fide scoring chance right there late. Um, just the effort there, you know, in front of Gustafson was sharp as it needed to be to, again, ward off the waves of pressure the Stars applied in the overtimes. But he was steady, and I think he sets that tone back there. And again, it's, it's how the Wild are built. It's how they play. Let's circle back on Faber for a minute because that's someone everybody here is familiar with if they follow hockey at all. I mean, he was playing in the NCAA title game like 10 days ago, and now he's like jumped right into the initial playoffs. And I know this is not unheard of. This this definitely happens in hockey. But for those who are maybe more casual to the sport, like how does someone make that leap so immediately and then gain the trust of his team to be like, hey, you're now you're the third defensive pair in the playoffs. Here you go. Go get him. I think he's really showed his maturity and his poise, and that's ultimately what it takes to succeed, I think, on this blue line and with how the team is set up to perform. It's being calm, being composed, um, you know, being in the right position, just the way that he closed on on pucks and, you know, again, the pressure he applied with his stick. Um, he looked very much like he was playing beyond his years, but again, Faber's played in big moments before, you know, aside from the NCAA tournament, um, the reps that he's gotten with Team USA, you know, that is not like the Stanley Cup playoffs to be sure. But, you know, big games, big moments, players that usually get to this level, they've had a lot of experience with that. So, again, I just don't think that the moment was too big for him. Um, Obviously, it's clear he's relying on a skill set and a talent that has gotten him to this point, obviously. Um, but the awareness, the smarts, um, he just, you know, is in the right position to make the right plays. And again, yeah, that that stick save, getting his stick out just enough to divert the puck away from the net and out of, you know, out of the trajectory of where Philip Gustafson might not have been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just does speak to a poison maturity that considering that. It makes sense why he's playing on this blue line right now and why he's playing impactful minutes. Yeah. And he and Gustafson and Sam Steele, who had the game tying goal, the you know, an assist on the on the game winner. I mean, it was just a he was the one that blocked the clearing attempt that, that got the puck to Hartman to, to score. All those guys making their playoff debut. I mean, should we I don't know if they expect that from these guys because they know these guys, but I think until you are in that moment, you don't know quite what to expect. Uh, they, they've got to be pretty uh, pleased as an understatement with some of the role players and some of the guys who, you know, did not have that experience coming in and how they played in that game. I asked Coach Dean Evison that, like, how are these players who have never been in this situation before able to come in and make a difference? And he, again, just said what we've been talking about. The Wild have been playing this type of hockey for so long now that that, you know, that muscle memory must make a difference at this time of the season. They've been in tight games. Gustafson has been in situations like this where um, it's tied, it's close, it's late, it's overtime. 
And, you know, I think just getting those reps is obviously really helping this team, even though it's now just different. The the magnitude, what's at stake. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's a best of seven, but it really does look like getting in those experiences has helped them, especially like you said, Sam, Sam Steele, um, you know, to ha- step into the penalty kill now to have that breakaway goal, um, just the composure to be able to get that shot off um, and obviously capitalize at a very timely moment for the team. That also, I think, is very um, indicative of how the Wild have had their success this season. Philip Gustafson was a backup coming into this season behind Marc-Andre Fleury. And now he's starting games in, you know, started game one in the playoffs. And so this season, I think, has been kind of about the players that, you know, maybe were under the radar, but when they're given opportunity, they've been able to to capitalize on those moments. And we saw that in game one from Gustafson's performance, Sam Steele's goal and assist on the game winning goal by Ryan Hartman. And then also Brock Faber's poise on the blue line. Um, you know, I think, again, that's very on brand for the Wild this season. That player, when they're given a chance to step up, they've been able to deliver. Yeah, and that's a good point. And Steele, you know, he's been all up and down the lineup. He was the first line center for a while. He's played basically everywhere you can play and probably elevated a little bit at this point, or at least getting more of an opportunity because Joel Erickson Eck is out. He missed game one. Any status updates from, from Tuesday? Any thoughts on, you know, where he's at in his recovery? Sounds like he maybe is... Close could possibly play in this series, but I don't know about Wednesday. Uh, what do you What do you think, and what do we know? He didn't skate Tuesday, but obviously he had been on the ice Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, and he had come out of those you know skates fine. Um, so yeah, I think now it's just kind of like a daily evaluation with him uh, where he's at. Um, I think the plan is for him to skate Wednesday morning before Game Two. Um, so you're right. It's a, it's a big hole in the wilds lineup, um, to get him back would obviously be a big boost, especially in that matchup type scenario, looking at the offensive talent that Dallas has across the ice. Obviously the stars didn't capitalize at five on five in game one, both of their goals came on the power play in a combined nine seconds. Yeah. That's amazing. Obviously you would expect that that offense um, obviously has the ability to get going at even strength. And that's, again, I think where the matchups can really um, be a factor and try to sway that production. But uh, we'll see. John Klingberg also didn't play game one. He did skate Tuesday. Um, so we'll see if he's someone who can get back into the lineup after he suffered a lower body issue at practice on Saturday. And obviously Klingberg, he played for Dallas for a number of years so that is someone who's probably pretty familiar with what they, you know, bring to the ice and their style of play. Um, so getting him potentially into this series could be an interesting factor for the Wild um, with his familiarity being on this team for so many years before, obviously, coming over to the Wild in that in-season trade. Ex someone that could probably help with face-offs at a certain point, too, although winning game one without him uh, probably means they might not have to if there was a 50-50 question, if they're they're not as desperate right now, I would imagine. And you never play a guy until they can play. But if there's a question of, ah, give them an extra couple of days, maybe winning game one gives them a little bit of extra latitude to 
to do that. Um, Sarah McLeod, a couple final things for you. Um, one of them being, um, you know, the stars firepower in that game, but also one of, one of the, uh, one of the guys who uh, we're quite familiar with Ryan Suter, uh, taking some shots at Kirill Kaprizov. You had the Matt Dumba hit. I uh, do, do you expect this to game to get this to be even more physical that those kind of repercussions carrying over to games two, three, four, it feels like this could be a long series physical play feels like it's going to escalate even from where it was, even in a pretty physical game one. It seems like it always does come playoff time. You know, you see these teams over and over again. It's not like the regular season where it's a one-off and you move on to somebody else, you know, two days later. So I think it it just seems only natural that the animosity builds. Um, You know, we'll see how much the rough stuff though plays a factor because, you know, I think for the wild you know, we've kind of hashed out their style of play. They're built from their net out, um, you know, very methodical, I think, in how they want to get up the ice and, and capitalize opportunistically. But for the Stars, too, I mean, this was this was a team that obviously can score a lot of goals, has a lot of, you know, high-end talent that can produce, um, you know, throughout their lineup. Their goaltender is elite. I think, you know, getting into that game and pushing the pace and probably trying to get the wild scrambling um, would be their game plan. So how does the physicality and all the extracurricular activity in between whistles, how does that play in? And does that detract potentially from them, you know, maybe wanting to really use their speed and skill offensively? Um, so we'll see. But I, I, you're right. I think just the physicality this time of the year, it's to be expected. The rivalry obviously should intensify again, playing every other day seemingly seeing the same cast of characters on each side of the ice (laughs) and probably remembering, um, you know, those types of interactions, the hits, the, you know, the, the wax after the play behind the play, um, they add up. So it just kind of, I think adds to the intensity of a series like this. And if game one is any indication, I mean, this should continue to be a tight checking slim, narrow margin, you know, of air type of series. And it's, it's no surprise that's how these teams were in the regular season, very evenly matched um, in when they went head-to-head and just, you know, how they played to be two of the top teams in the Central Division, a very rugged division to begin with that obviously houses the reigning Stanley Cup champion Avalanche, um, I, you know, on brand. We talked about the Wild being on brand. This yeah. season looks on brand, and it's only one game old. So uh, we'll see what the rest has to offer. We haven't even talked about, let's finish here, haven't even talked about Kirill Kaprizov, which I don't think would have been possible in last year's playoffs because he was a lot of what they had going. Maybe just a a marker of the different style they had. He still had a goal in that game. He was still very effective. He was a very good player in that game, not to get lost in the shuffle, but it's not just about him. They don't need him to just carry everything if they're going to have a chance to win these playoff games. And maybe, you know, that's maybe that tells you something more than anything else. Very sharp deflection on his goal on the power play. Very, very impressive play um, to deflect in that Jared Spurgeon shot on the power play. Yeah, I, he, he's going to be a factor. He always is. But you're right. You know, the Wilder here, and partly because of their depth, because of the way they played when he was hurt um, during the regular season, they actually clinched their playoff berth when he was not in the lineup. And you see the depth. You know, Sam Steele scores a big game tying goal. Ryan Hartman with the game winning goal. Um, you know, as much as he sets the tone and, and he is this team's best player, this is still a team and they still need that collective group effort 
to hold off a team of the caliber of the Dallas Stars. So I think you saw that again, if there was ever to get the result is one thing, but the way that the wild did it, um, getting contributions from out, from out their entire lineup, sticking to their script, keeping their composure, not getting rattled, getting tested by blowing a lead, but then rallying, um, you know, like I said, a very bend don't break type game. I, I think maybe that even, you know, put up the confidence even more. It's not that just they won, it's how they won. And it was, you know, the entire lineup. Presov got the first goal, but the other contributions, subtle, subtle stick plays that we talked about, yeah. kill, timely face-off wins late. Uh, there just was so many components of this game that made it really stand up as a win to build off of. You know, we'll see. This is hyped as it's going to be a tight, competitive series. Um, that could be lengthy. So it's just one game. But if there ever was a game to start off on, this has to be that feel-good type performance for the Wild to start off this series and, again, try to build off from here. Yep, we'll see where they go in game two. But, yeah, I think this is going to be a really good series and a great start for the Wild. Sarah will have all of the coverage from Dallas on Wednesday night. And then it'll be a whole lot of fun on Friday and Sunday when this series comes back to St. Paul. Sarah, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Take care. So the Wild with a real opportunity tonight to take control of this series. Not going to be easy. Obviously, Dallas going to be extra motivated. They cannot afford to go down 2 nothing in this series with two home losses. But um, we'll see where that gets the Wild tonight, where where kind of their, their style that's been talked about that this kind of playoff ready style gets them tonight but I hope what I hope I see is a team that's not just satisfied with the split in Dallas a team that recognizes the moment and really lays it all out there with a chance to go up 2-0 and by the way West looking a little bit wide open right now I don't know if you guys looked at the playoff results from Tuesday night but both Vegas and Colorado losing Vegas losing 5-1 to Winnipeg. Colorado goes down 3-1 to the Kraken. Seattle. So looking a little bit open right now. Just one game, but both those teams, like the Wild, winning game one on the road, could open things up a little bit if there are some upsets in the first round in the West, especially if one of them is the Wild. Starts to knock off some of those teams that are favored to get out of there. Makes the path potentially easier. Again, not getting ahead of ourselves. Just one game. A lot of series left in all of those, but the Wild with an opportunity right here in this moment, and I want to see what they do with it tonight. Let's finish with the cooler. Forgive me, I have ventured down the path again of curiosity with Kirk Cousins and the 49ers. It's coming off a recent report that's really been aggregated and maybe a, a little bit too, of a, too sensationalized way, but um, Yahoo Sports talked to Brock Purdy, the, uh, the uh, excellent uh, 49ers a quarterback coming off a very good rookie season after being Mr. Irrelevant, the last draft pick taken. Um, Yahoo Sports talked to him about the kind of reconstructive surgery on his elbow. It was a you know a repair of his UCL, not Tommy John surgery because that's a reconstruction, but it is the same ligament that uh, that that impacts Tommy John surgery that is repaired during Tommy Tommy John surgery. Um, but Brock Purdy's saying along the way that he's um, he's not really sure, honestly, whether he's going to be able to play in 2023. Now, the internal projections so far have him on a path to play 
to start throwing again, you know, probably, probably in June, things like that. But I'm watching this timeline. I'm watching how things go in the next two, three months. Is he hitting these marks? What What's going to be the... What's going to be the messaging coming out of San Francisco, you know, in, once we get to May, June, July? Once we get to that point, are they going to get, if if he's not going to be ready and they're looking at Trey Lance and Sam Darnold and saying these guys are not enough to get us where we want to go to this season, would they get desperate enough to revisit any kind of Kirk Cousins trade talk and I have no idea if the Vikings would be interested in that at that point it'd be late in the game it would basically be punting on 2023 I'm just curious at this point because we've all talked about the Kyle Shanahan affection for Kirk Cousins how he fits really well into that offense and now that he's not signed long term I'm just kind of playing with the numbers I can see a way that it works for San Francisco's cap this year and next year so Let's keep that in mind. Again, I don't want to go too far on this right now. I'm just kind of, these are things I'm thinking about. I started looking at salary cap stuff yesterday off of that report. Got a little bit intrigued by it. So I'm watching that. I'm watching with curiosity where this goes with Brock Purdy, if he's really going to be able to get back on the field, what his real timetable is as he recovers, how well this surgery goes, things like that. So keep that in the back of your mind. Just, just a tiny bit. Don't, don't fixate on it. Don't, don't worry about it too much. A lot of other stuff going on, but keep this in mind that maybe, just maybe, that this chapter is not fully closed, especially if Brock Purdy is not looking like he's going to be healthy for the start or for most of the 2023 season. Again, that remains to be seen. That will do it for today. Lots coming up tonight. I think Chip Scoggins will join me on Thursday's show to talk about both of these playoff games tonight. If they're great, I might still split these into two shows tomorrow. We'll see. Still trying to sort everything out. I've got some other uh, really good NFL draft content with Nate Tice from The Athletic, uh, podcaster, writer, son of former Vikings coach Mike Tice. I might use that tomorrow. We'll see. It's kind of a mystery at this point because so much happening, like I said. But all of it will be good. We'll be watching tonight. Hope you guys will be too, staying up late, listening to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Rand. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow.